Eventually, we're going to do that at the same time. No, that one was, like, super good. That's better than the other one. That was the closest we've ever been. <laughs> I usually have to, like, edit because there's, like, a few moments of silence before one of us speaks up, so. <laughs> How you been? We haven't, like, actually talked talk for, like, what? Ow, fuck. Just hit my hand. <laughs> Just trying to pull up my sock, but we haven't like talked, talked. I want to say like a week. Yeah, it's been maybe a little longer. Uh, well, I think Sunday, Saturday or Sunday when we recorded, we recorded a few days late. So I can't remember one. I just know like we talked when we did an episode. Yeah. That was it. Um, I mean, I've just worked. How's yeah. your car? <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's running again. That is exciting. So, yeah, listen to this. So, I want to be very clear. First, okay, let me just say. So, a sun- Sunday or Monday, I think well, Monday, we got a code reader for, like, the vehicle's code mm-hmm. reader, you know? And, well, we went and tried it out, and it said no codes found. We're like, are you are you yeah, kidding me That right seems now? like a little impossible. Yeah, and so, it, so and then we tried it on our other car, like the one that we've been, like, using, you know? And, of course, codes came up for that. We're like, oh, you know what? It's probably because the battery died for a while, like, for a few weeks, and then we had to actually, like, replace the battery. And when we went to replace the battery... There was something else going on where the alarm kept going off, so we had to keep disconnecting the battery, and it took us, like, three days to finally figure out the issue with that. I finally got the battery installed. But here, uh, so, but that's probably, like, because once you do that, like, usually the codes will clear in the car. So that's what we were talking it up to, is like, oh, it's just the codes are probably cleared right now from the battery a few weeks ago. Anyways, so... We're just sitting there, like, thinking, and Doug was like, I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to try a few other things. He's like, he's like, you know, I know technically uh, me and your family member um, took a look at the fuses a few weeks ago when we replaced the fuel pump and the battery. We checked all the fuses. or Well, they did. They checked all the fuses. And at first they didn't see anything wrong but also it was you know it started raining so it's just like they had to like do it like quickly so they're like you know i saw the fuses so then the last few weeks we've been thinking like oh maybe it's the timing belt because or timing chain whatever you want to call it and um so we're like well you know, that's going to cost, well, we could try to figure it out ourselves, but we do not, you know, it, we don't have something to pull an engine out. So that means that we'd have to get it towed to a shop and pay shop prices. So that's upwards of like $1,000, you know what I mean? Which 
Well, it's anywhere between five hundred and a thousand dollars. It's probably gonna be I'd probably estimate it to be like around seven hundred. Anyways, which would still be okay compared to just letting it sit in the yard, you know, and still make monthly payments on it. And like all things considered, how expensive it could be. Seven hundred yeah. really it's not a terrible price. Yeah. Definitely don't want to pay it because I mean, 700 is still a lot yeah. of money, but oh, yeah. versus putting like a brand new engine in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and Douglas is like, you know what? I'm going to check the fuses one more time. He's like, I, I just, he's like, because like last time we had to do this kind of fast because of the rain, you know? Uh, and so he's like, you know, and also just like how the lighting was and everything. He's like, you know, maybe we just missed it, you know. So he goes, starts checking the fuse for the uh, fuel pump because, like, we replaced the fuel pump, you know. Here, <laughs> it was the fuse for the fucking fuel pump. Oh so this whole time, we didn't really need to replace the fuel pump or anything we could have just put a fucking fuse in but that's okay that's okay you know what it runs now that's all that matters so thank god yeah which by the way you know as we've said before where the vehicle broke down at which was walmart we could have just ran in and got fuses and replaced the fuse that day but here we are. But oh well, it's working now. It's just, you know, it it's just, yeah. I don't even know what to say about it. To it's be a honest, lot of stress for um, a little chip. Yes, but it it just doesn't help because, like, yeah. I like I said, I don't even know what to say about it. But you know what? I'm just glad that it's fixed now even though that we are now hundreds of dollars later into it that's okay when it could have just been resolved for 30 damn dollars that's okay it's fixed now but it was so as it here whenever that whenever the car finally started at like 11 30 at night me and doug were just like literally screaming with joy outside <laughs> at 11 30 at night we're like shit never mind we got neighbors that's gonna be thinking that there's something wrong so we need to quiet down that's the reason to be excited but, though yeah okay um so we we're supposed to do an alien episode i'm still not ready to do that I haven't had the energy to look anything up. I know. Like, this week has just been bad because, like, it's just been hectic at work. It's usually not this hectic at work. Like, usually my job is really laid back. And, um, Mm -hmm. no, I got hit with having to, like, to verify, like, eight insurances in one day. And usually, like, I have to verify, like, three max. Because I have to actually, like, call and verify them. Like, I have to call each one individually and verify them and sometimes i'm on hold just waiting to talk to someone for like i'm not even kidding you like 45 minutes to an hour just on waiting to talk to someone 
And then half the time I get transferred because like, oh, "Oh, you got to the wrong department or the IVR messed up her. And that's like another thing is like these IVR systems. Oh my God. I just want to like, if they, oh. Well, let's get into this. This is a long one. Um, I came across a story and well, I came across several stories and this is the one that Columbus wanted to hear. Um, so be prepared because this is quite long. This, uh, was put up, uh, 12 days ago. So almost two weeks ago. I don't know if there's an update or not. I'll have to see, but says I live in an abandoned hotel and something keeps sending me gifts in the dumbwaiter. I don't have a home. I did once, but not anymore. My kids have sold it, and I don't blame them. I should have been there for them, especially at a time like that. But they only lost a mother. I lost peace of myself. We spent nearly 40 years together. She was my first kiss, and we were just nine years old. Tiptoes under mistletoe. Over a lifetime, we built something together. Something beautiful and intricate for just us. And then she died and I was left behind. Afterwards, I felt so alone. Other people's company, even my own children's, felt wrong. Hollow and thin, like cardboard. No solace. I'd lost half of myself and it hurt like hell. During the funeral, I had to sit there and eat sandwiches my daughter had thrown together on a platter and listen to sad offerings from people who were aware of the hole in my chest, but couldn't do anything about it. And like a black cloud, the thought of my empty home descended upon me. What was I going to do when everyone went back with their families, when my children had finally returned to their lives? It was only on the first night after I checked into the Dunraven Hotel that I understood the gravity of my decision. I wasn't going back. I wasn't going to pretend that life still had meeting. I sat in my room, ordered a drink, and waited. And 15 years later, I'm still waiting. Even after they shut the hotel down, even as the building crumbled and the wallpaper peeled, Strangers looting and wood began to rot, I remained. Aging, but still alive. And this place has made me a different man. I've had to adapt. I'm a scavenger, a squatter, desperate, cold, and hungry. But it's her absence that I feel the most as an aching in my chest. Even after all this time. Maybe I'm punishing myself, I don't know. I think I just wanted to be someone else. And this place made it happen. It feels like a lifetime ago. It feels like a lifetime ago. I stood in my garden and cooked burgers on an open grill, listening to my future son-in-law prattle on about football while my wife and daughters laughed in the distance. I'm so far removed from that man, I'm not sure we were ever the same person. Now there's only this hotel. What a special little place. Dunraven. Faded brass handles on every door. Patterned red carpets through the halls. Cheap but upscale. Bigger on the inside than most people expect. 
I don't know how I found it, but I did. And now I'm a sole caretaker. What do we think so far? I think... I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, it's... it's... Clearly... Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You go. I was going to say, he's clearly blaming himself for his wife's death. Yeah. I wish he would tell us <laughs> why, like how she died or something. I wonder if he ends up saying or no. Or is that, there's more, right? Or no? Oh, yeah. There's a heck of a lot oh, more. Oh, okay. Like, maybe. Or... There's a lot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I I don't know the, um, I didn't read it. I just read like the first paragraph and okay. was like, well, this seems interesting. And so I, from here on out, I have no idea what happens. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, how do we feel? <laughs> no, there's definitely, I don't know. There's something weird about it. But <laughs> no, there is. He's going through a traumatic time. People have left for worse and disappeared, changed their names, all that kind of stuff. I just don't know if I could ever leave my own kids behind in a situation like that because now not only have they lost a father or a mother you've now robbed them of a father too in your own grieving mm -hmm. yeah what do i know i don't have kids i have a cat <laughs> <laughs> okay Let's see um occasionally ghost hunters arrive at dunraven thinking it's haunted Stories typically focus on the victims of the hotel's most infamous killer, a manager who poisoned hundreds of guests, and those oh. actions finally forced the building to close permanently. No one would quite figure out what she was, what she used or how she pulled it off. There were concerns over black mold, maybe some unheard of chemical, or an illicit hallucinogen. Her testimony mounted to little more than babbling hysteria, and she spent her final days in an asylum. No one could say for sure what happened, but the damage was spectacular. Over the space of 18 years, tens of people have died. It wasn't from some mundane sickness. They imploded in glittering lunacy, fermenting in dark corners while their minds grew full of holes. It took months before the scale of madness became clear. One guest hung himself with a running jump from the roof, head first like an Olympic diver. One, a doctor, died trying to remove his own appendix in the dining room while other guests kept on eating. One group of 11-year-olds visiting on a coast are visiting the coast on a field trip, gathered one morning in the foyer and beat their smallest member to death while the teacher sat and watched, grading each child by their performance. Guests who stayed here during this period dreamt of boiling tar and blood-red oceans as far as the eye could see. They reveled in their own destruction, their minds melting at the edges while morality flowed loose like hot wax. This person's really good at writing. Yeah. It's very vivid. Very. But this is only the tip of the iceberg. Even when it was open, 
the staff, okay, sorry, commas, people, commas. I know, I hate that because I'm like, <laughs> Dude, this too. doesn't sound right. Yeah, because it says staff and ever-changing. Like, what is, Stefan? I don't know what Stefan is. It's supposed to be, even when it was open, the staff and ever-changing rota of the town's adolescence hated and feared in equal measure. Half of the rooms were forbidden to guests and staff, even back then. New hires would sometimes break the rules, but only once. Those who served food to the woman in 312 found that she would whisper strange things to them through the closed door. Most found her harmless at first, but not after they had gone home and glimpsed her pallid hands beneath their bed or caught her folded up inside their refrigerator, muttering dark reflections of their own private thoughts. Yikes. Mm. If you pay attention when you visit the Dunraven, you may notice that pinned to the wall of every floor and staff room is a list of these barred rooms. Attentive hires would have noticed 312 was on the list. With the addendum that all food service requests to its occupant were to be ignored. Ever since the hotel became a derelict, I carry a copy of the list on me at all times with some amendments of my own. Addendums of my own. Some of the rooms are relatively safe. It is easy to go into 804 and avoid the red leather chair that has dissolved more than a few geriatric guests looking for an upright nap. But other rooms are a death sentence. In 614, something strange lives beneath the bed. It has unnaturally long reach. Its twisted limbs are able to reach down the hallways and stretch around the corners and are adept at maneuvering the vent system to catch whatever poor soul left their scent in the room. On several floors, you may notice grates, and vents with damaged coverings. Despite the manager's best efforts, you will almost always find a British residue hidden in hard-to-reach places such as a thread of a screw or the seam of a weld. This will be one of the places that 614's resident finally caught up to the victim with a violent consequence. From what I've read in the manager's notes, it would wait hours before stalking. Dunraven is something special. A lightning rod. A glass bulb amid explosion. A thousand stories make up a history so bizarre that it raises questions about the town. How could anyone ignore this place? How can anyone keep it a secret? You won't find references to this place online, and I suspect there is some type of conspiracy. A dossier, perhaps, buried deep in the Westminster's archives. If so, it can only offer a sliver of understanding that I have gained here. Everything I need is in the hotel. Nine stories, over 600 rooms, nearby crumbling Welsh coast, and grey sea, where the old things just wash upon the shore. 
touch the soil or the sand anywhere between the hotel and the water and know that staying here is a place to yourself in a path of a story so old that risks crushing you beneath its tread. This is very descriptive. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. That sounds like it's like out of a novel. Almost. It's no surprise to me that Dunraven still stands even years after its closure. Outside of the front gate lay three bulldozers rusting. They came to bring it all down, but that was 12 years ago. Where are the men? Yellow vests and hard hats litter the ground, thrown there in a panic. Whatever plans to... Whatever plans there were to demolish Dunraven... I doubt they're still in motion. For the best, I think. What would they do with the stairwell? Bricked it up when I first arrived. I have since opened it. Although it looked... Although it took a few breathy weeks with a sledgehammer. Back when there was a staff, they bitched endlessly about the owner keeping it closed off. They couldn't understand why they had to shuffle everything up and down the main stairs where the guests were often berated them for getting in the way. One looked down the forbidden stairwell and I understood perfectly why it had been sealed. It was huge, far too large for a building like this. I dropped a brick and never heard it land. I shone a light and counted more than nine stories, a lot more. It hurt to stare into the vanishing at point. Suddenly, the floor beneath my feet felt a great deal less solid. I was standing on something flimsy that overlooked a chasm deeper than I had ever seen before. I have climbed those stairs for over a day and not found the bottom. But I have found old expeditions. Skeletal figures clutching their own necks, covering their mouths, faces frozen and whimpering. Most looked like lost teenagers, dressed in jeans and hoodies. On the lower floor, I even found a few that looked like military officers from a great war. Deeper still, skeletons were draped in an ancient chainmail. How do you bulldoze something like that? You can drive a big yellow machine into that stairwell, and all that's going to happen is you're going to lose your big yellow machine. I avoid that place like it's radioactive. Who knows what might have been down there? Instead, I spend my days going room to room, scavenging the things that people have left behind, listening to what the walls have to say. The history in this place is haunting. So many forgotten lives. You can feel it, like a sympathetic heartache. One room is charged with a heavy scent of sex. The bedposts have worn through the carpet, digging grooves into the wooden slats beneath. Till they they squeak with a rhythm that is familiar but hurts to the ear. Like a manic rat scribbling its way through a tight passage. And it's dangerous to linger at the threshold. To even risk placing a hand on the door. You can lose days to its effect. A heady mix of confusing thoughts and emotions. Like being possessed by another garbled dreams. The few times I have been unlucky enough to get caught in this effect, I have woken up days later, sore and sleep-deprived. They locked the room up in the 30s after the fifth set of fatalities. Knowing 
what I do, I'm surprised it took that long. Victims died of dehydration, bed sores, infections, in sepsemia contracted through unhygienic practices. On one occasion, the staff kicked the door down to find the guests gone, leaving behind sodden clothes and piss served in wine glasses. Whatever happened there, I don't know and I don't want to. Like all the barred rooms, it has a dumbwaiter, an ancient mechanical elevator that plums the same depths as the stairwell. I suspect whatever forces are at play in that abyss leak upwards through the open shaft and into the hotel. It may even be the source of all the strangeness. I can find no record of the dumbwaiters ever being installed or even used for the original purpose. I have checked, and the dumbwaiter in my room should descend straight through the bar on the ground level, cutting through several stools the countertop, but whatever route it actually takes seems to circumvent the traditional space. It sends me gifts, or something does, down there in the dark. Throughout my time in Dunraven, I have always heard something shuffling around down there. Nothing as severe as footsteps, but it was never particularly quiet either. It could have been a grate opening in another room to access the same shaft. Or maybe something coming loose and falling down. But once the hotel was abandoned, the sounds grew louder. Bangs and clatters and muffled thumps, maybe even grunts. I couldn't say for sure. Sometimes they might wake me, but I lie there with groggy eyes and the only and only the vaguest hint of what the sound had been before drifting back off. I thought nothing of it for months until one night I awoke, much like I had described, confused and exhausted, but something was different. I was instinctively afraid. Staying still, I scanned the room which was lit faintly by the moonlight. I noticed the dumb waiter's grate had been opened. It was cold, and in my sleep I pulled the covers up to my chin, but the window had been shut. I soon realized the draft was coming out of that ancient shaft. I shivered, afraid, pulled the covers even closer to my face. Then there came a sound from the darkness. An awful metallic screech, shrill but thunderous, some ancient mechanism being forced back into life, deep within the guts of the building. It passed quickly, and I wondered what it was, but before I could summon the courage to get up and close the dumbwaiter, the sound repeated. By now, I was wide awake and quickly processing whatever it was. It was far, far below me. This gave me some relief, but only a little, because the sound came again. And then again. And again. It was then I realized, with mounting horror, that someone was operating that elevator. Heaving hand over hand on the winch to raise the platform, rattling the chain and shaking off the centuries-old dust. Again and again it came, a pool after another, and soon there wasn't a break between the heaves and the hose.
freezing cold and terrified in my own bed, I could no longer deny what my ears were plainly telling me. The dumb waiter was getting closer and closer to my floor. For some reason, my brain picked this moment to remind me of all the children who have gone missing in the Dunraven over the years. Of countless parents who idly sat in the bar, only to return to the rooms finding nothing except ruffled sheets and other subtle signs of panic struggle. I imagined what those children went through. I imagined them, like me, lying in bed, hearing the dumbwaiter approach with a wailing mechanism, unable to shake the thought that something had entered into the enclosed space and was pulling itself exorbitantly up, up towards them. Did they pull the covers over their eyes to hide it? Did they crawl under their bed? Did they wait with bated breath as the screeching sound came to a halt? And there came the quiet of the inhuman muscles climbing out of the tiny metal box. Did they imagine if they stayed super still, perfectly still, it might move on and gobble up some other child? Did these strategies actually even work? By now my nerves had thoroughly conquered me. I couldn't move. I could only watch as the last lift came into view. A pitch black box. In those handful of seconds I found eternity. One stretching out far beyond what any human mind could endure. I stared into the shadowed recesses of the dumbwaiter until, at last, something stared back. Oh, hell. A pair. <laughs> what would you do? No. It's no. I, I wouldn't be there first off. Um, no. <laughs> that's one thing. Um, I just wouldn't be there. At least I wouldn't be. I'm not saying like I wouldn't try to like maybe explore something like that because I mean we have explored abandoned buildings. Right. But, um, he fucking lives there. Yeah. Which I don't give me the wrong way. Like, I understand. So, like, okay, I, again, I'm sorry for my ADHD here. Okay. So, his, okay, so his kids sold his house that he was still living in, or like, where, where was he living to begin with? Like, so, sorry, I've gotten a little bit lost now. Like shortly after his wife died, yeah. um, while he was like at the wake, he was thinking about living alone in that house. And he said he hated that. He didn't want to do that. Yeah. So he just packed up a few things and he left. So like he left his kids, he left the house exactly as it is, everything, and just left, traveled, where he went to this hotel and he stayed there. Eventually, the hotel was shut down, but he continued living in it, like squatting in it. Okay, okay. So because he didn't go back, his kids just sold the house. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure, because like I, like I said, I'm sorry, like with my ADHD, sometimes everything just like tends to get jumbled at some points, especially when he started talking about like the skeletons and the deep thing from the hole and everything yeah that's what i'm saying like i'm, I'm so thinking sorry. it's like the toxic mold <laughs> no you're fine i'm thinking it's like the toxic mold you say it's like um 
you say it's like nine floors, but then this thing's like deep, deep into the earth. I'm just thinking that it's like they were saying there's toxic mold and he's starting to hallucinate some of this stuff. Yeah. So that's what it sounds. Yeah. Logically, that's what it sounds like. But I'm not saying the paranormal world's like always explainable, you know? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I just right. think, yeah, I think some of this is definitely hallucinations. I'm not trying to be mean, but yeah. It just, that's the logical part of it, you know? Yeah. All right. Um, as I stared into the shadow recesses of the dumbwaiter until at last something stared back a pair of yellow eyes. A single three-fingered hand reaching out to clutch open the hatch. For a moment, the world felt dizzyingly unreal. I couldn't break the tension. I could only lie there and shiver and wonder if my heart was finally going to give in and burst inside my chest. I'm not sure how long it really lasted, but by the time the arm reached out and pulled the grate shut, sound of the tortured metal began again. Slowly, the mechanism lifted itself out of sight. When the sun finally rose, emboldened by the day of light, I ran over and made sure the damn thing was shut firmly. Nothing else lay in wait just out of sight. Briefly, I wonder, might it have been a dream? But fresh scratch marks on the inside of the dumbwaiter shaft said otherwise. It was then I decided to change rooms. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to have a... I'm going to get some tea and some crackers, and I'm going to wait out the next night for it. She's funny. Like. <laughs> this would not be the end of it, however. If I chose a room without a dumbwaiter, it would take less than a week before another appeared in the wall. No matter how much I moved, all I accomplished was spreading the damn things all over the place. There was no avoiding it. Most of the time, it would pass by my room, wheels screeching as it dragged itself up from the basement to God knows where. <laughs> but some nights, the grape would open, and those yellow eyes would leer at me from the shadows. And while it never really crept me out, and brought my worst nightmares to life, it couldn't stop glaring at me. I could not stop it glaring at me, nor could I stop the paralytic fear it instilled in me. I have obviously been at risk at the Dunhaven, Dunraven in the past, but that is always because I have gone trespassing into, un, into one of the many forbidden rooms. This was the first and only time that something in the Dunraven seemed to have taken notice to me, and even worse, give pursuit. And it did pursue. No matter what room I chose, a dumbwaiter would soon appear, not long after that saying would follow. Not every night, sometimes infrequently, as just once a month. But how often would you need to go through that for it to affect you that badly? I found it increasingly hard to sleep, yet somehow, impossibly, it got stranger. About a year after it began, a year? You're still in this place a year after Jesus this happening. Christ. Yeah. 
I would hear it like start moving up, and that would be enough for me. I'd be out of the room. Yeah. Like, what? A year. Okay. Well, that. About a year after it began, I woke to found the dumbwaiter already on my floor. Lit as it was by the morning sun, I could immediately see there were no yellow-eyed thing lurking in wait. But that didn't mean it was empty. Something had been in there. Oh, something had been placed carefully on the platform, neatly centered, almost presented. A broken-down pocket watch with faded brass lid. Filth and grime caked the inside and out, but I still got the impression that it had once been valuable to someone. After a bit of polishing, I found an old inscription inside. Oh, that's creepy. It was my name. Uh, I had never seen the damn thing before and attributed it to coincidence. I don't know how much of a coincidence that would be. Mm -mm. After that, the gifts kept coming. A particular range of sentimental keepsakes from God knows who, an album with photos of the young man in the RAF, a missionary statement from the same man's time spent preaching in Africa, judging by the common name. None of it meant a damn thing to me. Sometimes there were even practical effects like a woolly hat with Sometimes there were practical effects that I would receive in certain seasons, like a woolly hat in the winter or a good pair of boots after mine fell apart. It would take years of me collecting these strange things before I noticed an odd relationship. If I displayed some of the most recent gifts in my room, where it would be visible from the dumbwaiter, the creaking nighttime visitations would stop. In this way, I think I found the only real gift that I wanted was simply to be left alone so I could sleep soundly. Around this time, I noticed some of my personal effects went missing. Most of them were things I really didn't care about, and the thefts were so infrequent they were hardly worth worrying about. Especially considering the sleepless nights spent staring into the eyes for what could be hours. But the one that distressed me the most was a tin box filled with the last letters I received from my daughter. I still hadn't read them. Things turned sour between us after I left, and I knew where they stand. They were headed. Still, it was nice to have them. Nice to know they existed. Other than that, the thefts were minor and soon stopped. But the gifts still came once or twice a week, even to this day. In a way, it only depends on my. In a way, it only deepens my connection to the place. I don't know why, but all of the strange occupants of Dunraven, I fear that thing the most. The way it looks at me, I don't know how to describe it. It would be, I would be the thing going down in the dumbwaiter to go get my letters back, because I'd be fighting you. Yeah. Like, you could literally take anything you want. Didn't have to take the letters. No, definitely not. I have only ever seen its face once, a living nightmare that haunts me to this day. 
It began with three film students who I stumbled across as they were wondered as they wandered the lobby, all cooing at or cooing at all the pretty destruction. I caught them as they joked about returning to the Dunraven to shoot a full-blown horror movie. Childish cackles echoed the halls. The sound paused when they heard me approach. Then a moment of hesitation as I squeezed one of the half-blocked or half-blockaded doors in search of these noisy intruders, we all came face to face. Two of them, young men, looked suspicious of me. One clenched his fist, while the other gripped on the camera like he might be able to use it to bludgeon me. The other, a young woman, amongst them, waited only a beat before smiling, reaching out with one hand looking for a shape and declaring, hello. She bore a passing resemblance to my daughter's, but one that was enough to explain but that was enough to explain what happened, I suppose. We talked. Unlike all the others, when they asked to interview me, I actually agreed. And stranger still, it went on for the majority of it. Or it went well for the majority of it, at least up until a certain point. I suppose you'd be interested in the story of the manager, I asked as I brought them their cups of tea. I thought... They thought I didn't notice them inspecting the mugs. I think they were surprised to find them clean, but I have learned not to take anything like that personally. Actually, the young woman, Rachel, replied, we're interested in just one room. It's a part of a project we're working on about family history. My grandfather's brother went missing here when he was young. They were in a bit of a conservative family, she laughed. So my mom didn't know any details, and no one spoke about it, but Craig here, one of the men waved. He did some sleuthing and found my uncle's name recorded in some old digitized police files. Turns out my uncle went missing while staying here. Isn't that amazing? After we started reading upon the history of this place, we thought would make a great project. So. Here we are. The common story, I remarked. You don't happen to know what room you were staying in, do you? <laughs> 614, she answered with a smile. So that'll be a focus on our project. Oh. My heart dropped into my throat. Everything I read about the thing in 614 told me it was a relentless killer. And there was nowhere in the hotel you were safe. I remember reading the manager's account of one young maid being torn through the toilet's plumbing on the ninth floor. Jesus Christ. His, his hand had shaken as he recorded the details. The look on her face, the sound of her bones breaking, the moment where viscera had flown from her mouth, and all light finally extinguished in her eyes. You can't go in there, I stammered. Why not? One of the men asked defensively. The young woman flashed a little look at him. Hard to say what that was, but there was definitely disapproval there. It's barred, I said. No access. Besides, it isn't safe. Why wouldn't you say it's not safe? 
she asked. Asbestos, I answered too quickly. I wouldn't have convinced anyone of that bit of acting. Well, we'll have to go to the doctor's room then, Craig added, with a self-satisfied look about him. He clearly didn't like being told what to do. Slowly, based on that expression his and his answer, I realized where this conversation was going. Or rather, where it had already been. Why would you need to visit the doctors? I asked. Well, you caught us on our way out, Rachel said. We've been here since five this morning. We had shot everything we needed to of the hotel and the room where my uncle went missing. Then we heard, you need to leave. Now. I stood up and immediately put on my best impression of a crazy old man, which in truth may not have been that much of an impression. I think it was around the third mug I threw at their heads, smashing it against the wall in a spray of ceramics that finally got the message. Still, I gave chase, out the door, down the hallway, then out to one set of the stairs after another, until soon the lot of us were working our way through the lobby. The young men shouted back at me, but couldn't quite bring themselves to lash out at an old man, while Rachel merely cried in the arms of Craig, but I never relented. Not even a pang of regret ran through me at the sight of that young woman's tearful face. She wasn't much too scared, I think, just distraught to see someone she seemingly trusted turn on her. Yes, it was an ugly scene, and I had an ugly part to play, but I don't regret it. They didn't live. They didn't have long. In all of the excitement, it was only me that noticed the strange muffling sounds that ran along some of the vents in the corridors. In all of the excitement, it was only me who noticed the strange muffled sounds that ran along some of the vents in the corridors, or the way that as they stood by the hotel's door momentarily defiant as I shouted obscenities, there was a slither of movement in the piles of rubbish that had collected in the lobby. Something was down there with us. They might have mistaken it for a rat, but I knew better. I eventually got them out, but not before one of the young men and I finally came to blows. Nothing severe. I pushed him one final shove across the threshold, and instinctively his hand whipped out and caught me on the lip. Bleeding, I made sure he cleared the exit, then pulled the door shut and spat out the, the grimy window. Blood and saliva streamed down the glass. They stood on the other side, horrified, before finally trying to leave. I watched as the two men consoled the young woman on the way back to their car. I turned, ready to go back to my room, and began feeling sorry for myself. I was halfway toward the nearest stairs when I heard the door go. It was no excuse. Jesus Christ, Craig, he's probably like 80. We need to make sure he's... She must have been surprised when she saw the strange glistening hand that wrapped around her ankle because there was a momentary, huh? So quiet that it was easy to miss. Then came the screaming. She was pulled onto her back and slowly dragged. By the time her two protectors barged in after they had barely had enough time to register her position before their own cries of help began. They went down with almost comical thumps, arms thrashing an ankle-high pile of trash that covers the floor as something unseen pulled all three of them in one direction. The stairwell.
the secretive doorway hidden in the staff room behind the check-in counter. By the time I realized they were going, Rachel's fingers were already clutching the wooden paneling desperate to, in a desperate bid to stop herself, but it was too useless. They could scream or struggle all they want. The creature in 614 was going to get them. It would pull them up through story after story in a long, twisting, dark stairwell until it could drag them into the room above. For a moment, I wondered how it might do that. All entrances were blocked. But then I thought of the tooth that I had once found in an impossibly small vent. Nothing said they had to be alive on the other side. It might have just punched a small hole in the bricked-up entrance that allowed it to slither down, and that was all it would need to get back up. Rachel's eyes briefly met mine. I read so much about the fate of people who were dragged into 614, and I wasn't ready to see that happen to someone in front of me. I needed to do something. I tore through the trash until I find the closest thing to what I hoped, an old broken bottle with a jagged edge. When I looked up, the three figures had disappeared through the doorway. I had to hope... There was still some time. When I entered the stairwell, I noticed some of the railing had been bent and damaged and was smeared with hair and blood. I wondered if I was already too late. But then above me, I heard Rachel's muffled sobs. I'm not sure if I have ever climbed a step so quickly in my life. One floor up, and I found her upside down, clinging for her life to another set of rails. Behind the, her lay the other two men, broken and mutilated. I quickly realized that the arms had dragged them through a small gap in the railings, killing them, making enough room for a smaller woman to pass safely. The sight of them was horrific. They reminded me of the way moths hung, trapped in a spider's web, cocooned and broken, limbs splayed, wings half torn off. Even as jaded as I am, I couldn't help but winced when I looked down at Rachel and saw the blood and the gore she was covered in was in her own. By now, she was a good foot... A good foot or two away from my reach, so instead I ran up to the other floor. And using a nearby broom, I pulled the arm itself closer. I grabbed it with one hand and then another, and I began to saw. The jagged glass was effective. The hand itself wasn't really all that human. It was soft and mushy, its blood the color of custard. And while its soft, almost amphibian flesh meant it molded perfectly around her leg to give it a great grip. Its skin gave quite easy, easily to the glass. With only a few harsh cutting motions, it was forced to let go and slither away. I have to wonder, even now, if what happened next was done on purpose or an act of spite. It flicked Rachel away. She fell like a stone out of sight. She didn't cry. She might have even fallen unconscious by this point. But she fell so quickly into darkness that I stood there, jabbering, unable to process the brutal loss. I waited as the minutes stretched on, shouting down below, desperately hoping for a reply, but there was nothing, just silence. Haunting, brutal silence. In the end, I had simply to accept that she was gone, lost. I left, and that night I laid in bed, wondering if she was going to fall forever, screaming desperately into the void. 
No one was there to catch her, and if there is a bottom in that nightmare, she wasn't surviving any meeting with it. Not at those speeds. I fell asleep, hoping there was a bottom and that she could strike it fast so she would end her suffering in an instant. But I was left uncertain of this, when just a few days later I woke to found the dumbwaiter, ready as usual, with a new gift. Her camera. Not a recording device like the other ones had, the guys had. This one was digital she wore around her neck. She only used it once or twice around me, using it to take an old snapshot of graffiti or an empty room. And by the time it reached me, it was half broken. But it wasn't hard to find a charging cable so I could see the photos she had taken. First dozen were standard fare, but after that, well, it showed the stairwell. Somehow she made it into one of the railings from there, a landing. But she must have been lost because these photos showed new doors and places that I had never seen. How far might she have fallen? There was a strange out-of-focus shots, blurry, dark, and hard to make sense of. I saw a cathedral on the barren concrete plain, stained glass windows with unrecognizable saints doing awful things. Hidden rooms with old gramophones and Edwardian furniture. Paintings on the walls of people with too many or not enough eyes. One photo, the best in terms of clarity, showed what looked like the lobby of an old apartment building at night. Ceiling tiles falling in derelict f to a derelict floor, while an old man glared at the photographer in horror. Stranger still was the shape looming over his shoulders, a terrifying specter of a long-dead woman. The photos went on and on, sights like these and more. I could not describe them all, except to say it gave a terrifying insight to the impossible words or impossible worlds contained below. Alien skies and strange moons, perhaps worst of all, a child's bed glimpsed through the crack of a closet door. God knows what lurks down there, but it wouldn't surprise me at the labyrinth was a source of all mankind's nightmares. But first, I had to make sure it was really her that was still down there. As much as I hoped, as much as hope see, had seized me in that moment, I'm not an idiot. None of the photos showed clearly who had taken them. In fact, the camera had arrived in a dumbwaiter that at some point had fallen likely into the possession of the yellow-eyed thing. I needed a way of checking the stairwell without putting myself in harm's way. This is hardly the most tasteful thing I've done, but I went back to the lobby and found the car keys of one of the panicking boys that had left on the floor. Rifled through their belongings until I found what I was looking for. Another camera. This one able to record video. Then, after some time planning, I took to the stairwell on a safe floor and lowered the camera down using a rope. I had no way of knowing what I saw and I had to figure it out if she was down there and she saw it, maybe she would cry help. Otherwise, I'd just have to pull it up and watch the footage and see for myself. I had about a kilometer of rope, which it's kilometer. I don't know why it's spelled kilometer, but it's kilometer of rope, which I figured out was enough to do the job. 
Wherever the camera had taken a picture, there was still enough ambient light from above to see something. Surely a hundred meters down, there'd be nothing but pitch black darkness. Still, I lowered it all the way, tied it off, left there for a few minutes to let my arms recover. It wasn't exactly heavy, but it wasn't nothing either. I was about to lift it back up when something changed. My fingers barely grazed the rope when the knot tightened. The fibers groaned, and the tempo of its swinging changed. With one hand, I tested the load. It wouldn't budge an inch. Whatever was hanging off the other end was either far too heavy to be a cam was far too heavy to be a camera, and there was something deeply wrong with the way the rope was grinding to the left and the right across the rail. Someone was down there and it was climbing the rope. Fast. Way too fast for me to take more time processing. I grabbed a knife and I'd made sure to keep it on me and began to saw furiously, but the rope wouldn't stay still. It moved with so much force that it threatened to pull the knife out of my grip. I, it was a nearly impossible task, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't stop my eyes from tracing the thin rope that disappeared into the empty dark below, expecting any second for this terrible thing to appear. How can it move? I wondered. How quickly can it climb a thousand meters? What if I jumped on? Or what if it jumped on just a few stories down? It might only have been 10 or 20, 30 meters to go. How long do I have? Sweat trickled down my back I and prickled my forehead and made my palms slick. It made it even harder to keep a hold of the flimsy kitchen knife. I bit my lip so hard that it bled, just trying to keep my concentration to stop from drifting again, again, toward the dark. In the end, there was just a few light strands left holding when the knife fell from my clumsy hand. Without even meaning to, I cried out, desperate and afraid. I leaned over to try to catch it before... Gravity took it away forever. As the knife fell into the glittering shadow, two yellow eyes emerged. Bright, eager, alight with malevolent, alight with malevolent intelligence I'd never seen before. They were tiny and smaller than a pea and embedded in a misshapen head covered in sparse white stringly whiskers that made it look both unnaturally young and old at the same time. Human once, perhaps? Who knows? Over the hunched, muscled shoulder, it carried a poor Rachel's body. When it used both of its three-fingered hands to grab the rope and heave itself up one more time after the other, one of those enormous hands finally reached up, and for a second I saw my own future. I saw it clamp those grotesque fingers around my head and crushing it like a melon. Or even worse, I saw it pulling me down to the depths below. Alive, but not dead. God knows what for. At the last second, the rope finally snapped, and the face, or the hand missed my face by mere centimeters. Yellow nails, blunt and half-swallowed by inflamed flesh, nearly grazed the tip of my nose. Its strange little eyes expressed for just a moment a sort of sad surprise before it began to fell. I wasted no time in leaving. I ran faster than I have in years for the hotel. 
and after that to my room where I bolted the door and began piling furniture across the entrance. In a dazed panic, I saw the dumb waiter and remembered those yellow eyes and that strange hand, and I began to panic once more. It was surely the same creature. So I spent the rest of the day bolting the damn thing shut. I nailed planks of wood. I screwed, hammered, weighed down, and in the end, I grabbed a wardrobe from the other room and slid it across. It still didn't feel like enough, and it never would. I couldn't get the image of its damn face out of my head. It looked sad. It looked lost. All those gifts it had been coming from that thing. The mere thought of it repulsed me. Somehow, possibly, the reality was much worse than anything I could have imagined. And suddenly, thankful that for years I had, it had stayed in the shadows of the dumbwaiter, to have seen that monstrous thing leering at me in the pale moonlight, I might never have slept again. I know... I had to wonder what it was and why it had come for me, so I waited in the room and tried not to sleep, but that's not easy for an old man like me. After all the excitement, adrenaline, and fear, I fell asleep just before midnight and woke in the morning, still upright in my chair, face turned toward the dumbwaiter. All of my preparations were for nothing, because the planks had been torn off. The grate had been unbolted from the wall. The wardrobe tipped aside. There, waiting for me, like it so often did, lay the lift with a new day's gift, although this one had not fit so neatly inside. It was Rachel, folded, compressed, bones broken, skin pale, and blood dripped thickly from the platform onto my very room. With a heavy heart, I realized it was time to move again, because I would never be able to sleep soundly in that room. Again, knowing why the carpet had been stained. I wanted to be sick. I wanted to run. But there was no forgetting a lifetime of experience. That thing had presented me with a gift. If I hid it or threw it away, I knew what that meant. A nightly visit. The screeching of old gears, a sleepless night spent staring into the darkness, and now I know what lay in it. I would be a thousand times worse. Perhaps the worst and most strenuous four hours of my life were spent removing her from the dumbwaiter, and I had her sitting in my chair there in full view for that awful freakish thing. After I felt confident I never wanted to step foot in that room again, I began my preparations to move. Its wants and needs are beyond my understanding. Its bizarre obsession with me is sickening. It wasn't even enough for to torture me with poor Rachel's corpse. It had shoved the old tin box of my letters into one of her hands. And for a moment, I was delighted to have them back, but I opened it and my heart sank. They had all been torn to bits, all except one piece of paper, one to which something had scrawled words into a nightmarish hand, or in a nightmarish hand that was barely legible. The words come off to me as gibberish. Fine on their own, but together the meaning is lost on me. I reprint them here only to give you a sense of how deranged it must really be. The note says, the best thing you can do 
is take the girl's body and leave. Give her parents closure. It's too late for the young men. The last child in 614 has already eaten them. But I've kept this one close. I've kept her safe. And I've done what little I could to see her body home. I tried giving it her to you directly, but failed. This was the best I could do. It's up to you to go the rest of the way. You must take her and leave this place. The Dun Raven changed me on the outside. But you it has been changing on the inside. My job is to feed Dun Raven, and I have done so far over a century, dealing people and depositing them below. But I could not understand how you lived above so long, almost as if the hotel had desired it. Over the years, it has slowly made it clear to me what your role really is. I'm giving you one final chance to walk away. I hope this letter helps you see the truth. You have been manipulated. Like me, you have been rewritten to suit the hotel's needs. Why have you been writing these letters to yourself? They're gibberish. I've seen what you do day after day. I watch you. You take photos of other people's children and frame them. You wear a wedding band stolen from one of the soldiers' body in the stairwell. You stroke the photos of people you never knew and miss a daughter that never existed. I understand why you're here, and I hope you take this letter seriously. When the Dun Raven closed, it lost one caretaker. In you, it's made itself another. Well, that, uh, yeah, I don't know if, like, it, because I know it said, like, way up at the top that there was a lot of toxic mold. Yeah, and that's, like, what I was about to bring up. I was like, I wonder if he is just hallucinating all this. Oh, somebody has commented on this, and it says, I wonder if this hotel is somehow connected to this abandoned high-rise. The caretaker from the high-rise was in one of the photos from Rachel's camera. The old man with the woman's ghost behind him. There's a few other similarities between the two accounts, possibly coincidental, but maybe not. I'm going to pull up this hotel. I'll send you the link because I actually get a link. Okay. Oh, this is insane. Like, it's another story. Hmm? But, like, just skimming over it, it, uh, it does seem the same. It just says, I've been squatting in a condemned high-rise, and these are the rules I follow to stay safe. Oh, this is a long story. Yeah, it's it's just as long as this one is. Well, actually, I feel like that one's shorter than this one is. But... um, You can, like, skim it or whatever. 
but yeah um it mentioned something about like toxic mold up there so i feel like maybe what he's seeing is toxic mold yeah you know i don't know i really feel like because like especially at the end of it they are like saying like how he was writing letters to himself or the monster was like at the very very end it was like you mentioned about why am I writing these letters to myself every day so unless I misunderstood it uh but yeah I just it said um why have you been writing these letters to yourself day after day? Yeah. He's uh, a yeah. See, that's like what I was saying. It's like. And it could be. I mean, it could be because he's an old man. He said he's an old man. So maybe he's yeah. looking at like a mirror or something and seeing himself reflected back in him not recognizing himself yeah that and toxic mold will really get you yes <laughs> all right well yeah i don't know i really just feel like it, it's the mold that has like yeah a big thing here definitely well that is the end of this one um we're actually going to record another one after this um and we get to tell you something exciting so tune in for that one yeah i can't wait till i hear about the adventure we had so i didn't get to like <laughs> it was yeah. It was quite one. That's for sure. Sorry we've been MIA. Okay. So well actually you only I think we only skipped two weeks worth of yeah. stuff. But listen, when this episode comes out, okay, um the last twenty-six minutes or like twenty-six to thirty minutes of this podcast episode has been recorded about two weeks after the other half because as we were recording this the freaking bot decided to run uh maintenance yeah on itself so we've had to wait and then we had this just lots of stuff going on uh, lots of stuff going on. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the next episode. Yeah. So, sorry we've been MIA. It wasn't our intention. But, hey, life happens. Alright, well, that's all loves. We will talk at you next week. <laughs> Bye! Bye.